When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from TalkSport. Hello folks and welcome to the Game Day Premier League post-match podcast from TalkSport with me Sam Matterface, TalkSport transfer guru Alex Crook and the former England Norwich and West Ham striker Dean Ashton. Great Scott, Manchester United rip Leeds apart as Oli outwits Bielsa and McTominay becomes the first player ever to score twice in the first three minutes of a Premier League game. Magnificent seven, Salah and Sadio sulk but Klopp shows why his team are top with a Christmas clattering of Palace. Red missed, Lundstrom off. Livermore, off. Anderson, off. VAR, a bit off. Arsenal all for Everton. City slick at Saints. Spurs stall. All on the podcast that is a little bit more generous than Santa. It's the game day Premier League post-match podcast from TalkSport. This is game day. Well, hello to Dean Ashton. How are you? You all right? I'm great, Sam. Thank you very much. You well? Yes, not too bad. What impressed you most about the weekend? I think you have to look at the score lines of a couple of games. I think when you when you're heading towards which is always notoriously a difficult period, not for players because we absolutely love it, but to for a couple of teams to put in the performances and the score lines that we saw, one of which I was at for Talk Sport. Um I thought I just thought it was it was first of all great to see, but also a, a real sort of statement from both of the sides. We will get to that game in just a second. Uh, Alex Crook, TalkSport transfer guru and reporter, is with us as well, wearing what can only be described as the worst shirt I have ever seen. He's ditched the roll neck for one day only and turned up in a black shirt with cartoon reindeers on it. Is that right? Yeah, pretty much. It's Christmas. It was our last show, our last Darren Ben's boot room before Christmas. So we decided to wear festive clothing although Darren Bent forgot his so it's actually just me and Ambrose okay well you look really good um Thanks, what, uh, what 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 is your highlight of the weekend uh Leeds waiting 16 years to renew their rivalry with Manchester United and being 3-0 down after 20 minutes did make me chuckle I have to say and I just enjoyed the way that United attacked I was watching it in the uh in the offices at Talk Sport and Darren Bent said it's like the red arrows and and that probably summed it up it was a fantastic attacking display uh, my anti highlight of the weekend was either the Ollie Watkins goal that wasn't a goal because it was a proper striker's finish but was narrowly offside or the Madison second goal for Leicester that wasn't a goal but it was still a thing of beauty because it was ruled out for an infinitesimally small breach of an archaic offside law that doesn't seem to mesh with VAR because of the change to the handball law there's had an unexpected knock-on effect uh, but uh, aside from that I thought it was just a very entertaining weekend of football so should we get to it up to Salah just outside the penalty area another flying shot and another fly 
Mo Salah again. Liverpool have seven. Devastated by the result. We're humiliated by the result. Southampton nil. Manchester City one. Raheem Sterling has just opened the scoring for Pep Guardiola's side. 15th at Christmas and serious pressure on their beleaguered boss. An eighth defeat in the Premier League this season, away at Goodison Park, where it has finished. Everton 2, Arsenal 1. Here comes Wilson from the edge of the box, and he rolls it straight down the middle. Newcastle a level against 10-man Fulham at St James's Park. Welbeck! Danny Welbeck with the equaliser for Brighton! And heartbreak for Sheffield United with just four minutes to go. And in the end, Tottenham will well beat. It finished here, Tottenham nil, Leicester City 2. You think I'm competing against Liverpool and I'm I'm not competing against Liverpool. I'm competing uh, against every opponent, every match. We want to win. Manchester United into third. Should they win their game in hand, they'll be just two points off Liverpool in second place. Full-time at Old Trafford, Manchester United 6. Leeds United too. He's put them out of their misery. Villa are up tonight, but for West Brom it's another defeat here. They've lost by three goals to nil in the Brummy Black Country derby. Manchester United 6, Leeds United 2. And I think you've already alluded to the fact that the way that Manchester United played was particularly impressive because they started like a train and they just kept forcing Leeds back, back, back and back. And in the end, they just sort of probably played them at their own game, Alex. Yeah, and I think eyebrows uh, were raised even by Andy Cole, who, as we know, isn't the uh, the fiercest critic of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. When we saw the team sheets come in, Dan James starting, Paul Pogba back on the bench, despite playing pretty well at Sheffield United in the week. But actually, Ole got his tactics spot on. The reason that Dan James played was because he he wanted to utilise his pace and the pace of Martial and Rashford to, to start fast, which obviously has been a contrast to the way United have started most games this season, uh, to put leads on the back foot, to press them high up the pitch, it worked to perfection and McTominay coming in for Pogba, I don't think even Ole himself was expecting that kind of impact. Two fantastic goals. It was a great game of football and Leeds played their part. As we said in the preview podcast, they, they're always going to give the oppos- opposition chances. It could have been any score. It could have been 12-8 and it, and it, it would have been a good reflection and a fair reflection of the game. That's the way that Manchester United want to see their team play and all of a sudden, there they are in the top three. Yeah, I mean, I think... I thought what was impressive, and I don't know whether they saw this before the game and and studied Leeds, but Calvin Phillips was certainly had one eye on Fernandez as if he was mainly man marking him. And as we've we've all seen, Bruno doesn't just play as a number ten; he literally drifts wherever he, wherever he wants. So, so so early on, that's why the first few goals came about, and attack after attack seemed to just open up for Manchester United because Calvin Phillips had been dragged way out of position and showed the lack of defensive nows from the likes of Click and Rafinha um, and Rodrigo that that they lacked when Calvin Phillips is dragged out of position. So maybe again, maybe a bit of kudos to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and his staff in terms of recognising that. Um, I wonder whether or not we have to get used to the fact that Leeds United are a newly promoted team and are going to score a lot of goals because of their approach and, and they have the players to do that, but they're also going to concede a lot of goals because they're playing against teams who maybe last year would not have punished them when they were open at the back, but this year, a team like Manchester United, a team like Liverpool will certainly do that. Yeah, actually, before you um, you joined the, the meeting, Dean and I were talking about that and I think we have to we have to not lose sight of the fact they are a newly promoted team. And and 
they are going to stay in the Premier League. There are worse teams than them at the moment. They're not really in a relegation fight. Maybe they're looking a little bit over their shoulder, but they're capable of, of putting teams like Newcastle and lesser sides in the Premier League to the sword. So I don't think we should be too critical of Marcelo Bielsa. Having said that, I don't think he should get a, a free pass because they aren't brilliant defensively. But Leeds fans are enjoying what they're seeing. They've waited 16 years to get back in the Premier League and they're seeing a side full of endeavour, full of effort, full of heart, who are having a go. And I think most... Leeds fans, most right-minded Leeds fans would, would be appreciative of that. What about most right-minded Manchester United fans? Because when you look at the record of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer celebrating his second anniversary in charge in the coming week, Dean, only Jose Mourinho has a better record in his first 110 games. Since February, only Liverpool have taken more points, but they've played one game more. Yeah, and I think that, the, the second stat you just mentioned there, I think that is the key... That is the key stat, isn't it? Only second behind Liverpool in terms of points is is very much on Oli Gunnar Solskjaer's side. It, it, it definitely feels like he has to do a lot more, I would say, than other managers because of his previous reputation in terms of the way he failed at Cardiff. He then had to um, go go back abroad and 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 before he came back to to England. It's, it's almost as if he hasn't earned the right to be Manchester United manager. Therefore, he has to produce something even better in this climate when you've got two sides that have set just ridiculous standards anyway. And maybe, yeah, I think probably does get a, a slightly more difficult ride. But again, I wouldn't necessarily look so much at that performance because Leeds basically just gifted them the win. It was as simple as that. Yeah, but, but, but overall, despite the Leeds victory... Going back to February, that's quite a, a long time to assess the performance of a manager, and, 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 and two all, years and all, is certainly the long though, time to do you so. Would much prefer you would much prefer to watch this Manchester United than you would have done under Jose Mourinho, under Louis Van Gaal, under David Moyes. This Manchester United are, for me, they are great to watch. They're entertaining as United should always be. So, so Alex, would you agree that this Manchester United team are the best Manchester United team since Fergie retired? Yeah, I think you have to say that. I, but that probably illustrates my argument why I'm still not necessarily 100% Oli in because Jose Mourinho won a couple of trophies with far less resource at his disposal. Oli Gunnar Solskjaer has been there two years now. They reached multiple semi-finals last season, didn't win a trophy. I think he needs to deliver silverware with this attacking group of players, certainly going forward that he's got. He needs to win something this season. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. 
Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Beware the witching hour. It's nearly 12.30. Jurgen Klopp's nightmare kickoff time. Drifted into the penalty area for Mane and here's Minamino with an early chance. And Liverpool take the lead with a little over two minutes gone. And Ayo's got forward again and held off Fabinho and he's inside the box. Oh, and he's played it behind Zaha. Back pass there from Van Arnhold. See the stop on by Minamino has won a corner kick. He's come back to Firmino and a chance for Mane and Liverpool are two up. Fantastic finish from Sadio Mane. Robertson crossed into the edge of the box. Firmino, oh. it's a wonderful third goal for Liverpool. Absolutely classic counter-attack. Flipped out to the right-hand side, Alexander-Arnold touched, let him down. Jordan Henderson hits it and hits the back of the net. And Liverpool have four. Mohamed Salah assessing the options, finds Firmino inside the box. Roberto Firmino scored again. Liverpool have got five. It's towards the head of Matip and he's headed in and Liverpool have got another. And Mohamed Salah has got number six. Just outside the penalty area. Another flying shot and another flying goal. Mo Salah again. Spectacular effort. The reigning champions are top of the league thanks to this. Crystal Palace nil, Liverpool seven. Uh, Crystal Palace nil, Liverpool seven. Uh, certainly no worries about the resources that Jurgen Klopp has got. I mean, Crystal Palace actually didn't start too badly in this game. And you were there, Dean, for Talk Sport. I thought in the first 10, 15 minutes, Liverpool went in front through Minamino. Actually, Crystal Palace got in behind a couple of times, had decent opportunities. And if they'd been better with the final ball, might have created a clear cut opportunity at one stage. But very quickly, Liverpool put their foot on the gas and then the game just went away from them. Yeah, I think, like you say, a, a really bright, sharp start from Liverpool. But then I don't think the the second goal came till after the 30th minute. And you're right, in between then, there were so many counter-attacks. I probably counted about six or seven from Crystal Palace that should have led to an end product of sorts mm. and just didn't because of a poor pass or a, a wrong run or, or a wrong option. Um, and, and they did look vulnerable. But to be honest, once they got that second goal, and even in between that Liverpool... I just thought the intensity that they started with is the intensity I've always said no team in the world can keep with Liverpool when they have that intensity that they had on uh, on on Saturday. It was just it was incredible to watch in terms of their the way they were so clinical with the the way they finished as well. It was brutal, wasn't it, from from Liverpool <laughs> more than anything else? Yeah, yeah, and that's that's what sets them apart from the rest. Um, you, you, you'll accuse me of making. One of my trademark bold statements, but I actually think the title race is over. I think Liverpool are going to be champions and everybody else is playing for second place. Just remember that you've done a video on September the 20th where you were slagging off Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and the Manchester United fans and the Ole Gunnar Solskjaer faithful are retweeting that at this very, very moment uh, to prove to you that you, you, you were a little bit too quick off the mark, let's say. I'll, I'll stand by my Ollie comments until he delivers some silverware. But, I mean, you tell me a team that are capable of, 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 of catching Liverpool this season. They've had so many injuries. Every time you, you, you think that they might falter, 
Leicester at home, Wolves at home, they swap them aside. Tottenham, people were saying they'll never get a better chance to go to Anfield and win. And Palace don't concede a lot of goals. It's been the trademark <laughs> of, of Roy Hodgson. They don't give away that many opportunities. And they've scored seven. Is, uh, it, is anybody going to stop Liverpool winning the league? I can't see it. Probably unlikely. I think Manchester City will give it a good goal. Defensively, they're very good. We'll get to them in just a moment. But um, let's talk a little bit more about Liverpool because one of the things that I think is quite interesting is is, is the sort of reactions that the players are giving to not being included in the team not being given the respect they think they deserve, Salah, when he's moaning about not getting the captaincy, and Mane when he's being taken out of the team midway through a goal fest, Dean. I mean, that sounds like, on the face of it, if you look at it, it's like, oh, great, well, these players want to be involved, they want to play every week, they want to do their job for the team. But is there a little bit of you that would be concerned that they are showing the dissent so visibly? No. Un- unless that goes beyond what you kind of see within the environment of the game, which can always be slightly different because players will always play to the cameras as such. Mm. And they will always, it'll always be heightened on match days because they're so desperate to play. Um, And I just thought, I think Salah shows it a little bit more than Mane in terms of in the way that he celebrates his goals yesterday. He looked still miserable, even when he got the second, which was a great goal. He still didn't really celebrate. Whereas Sadio Mane, I think, probably just showed the dissent because he was having a fantastic game um, and and just missed a great opportunity, I think, to, to score his second goal. Um, but what a great headache, really, to have. If you're a manager, you can brush that off if the team are winning as well. But you want every single one of your players to be that desperate to uh, to play, which is is not can't be said about every player in the Premier League. Which I suppose is a good thing if you've got that competition, that hunger to be involved on a regular basis. When you have had the injuries that Liverpool found themselves being unfortunate enough to pick up, and and the prognosis not being that great on Diego Jota, Alex. Yeah, and, and that's what makes it so impressive because everybody wrote them off after Virgil Van Dijk was injured. He was such a key player. They've lost Allison um, at moments this season. Now they've as you say, Yotta is injured, but look at the way that Roberto Firmino has stepped up to the mark. Someone who's had his doubters, not least uh, from our TalkSport colleague, Darren Ambrose, who said that he wasn't good enough to, to to be a number nine for this Liverpool team. And I think he silenced those critics. And listen, listen, good good teams find it difficult to accommodate good players. There's always going to be disgruntled players. And I actually don't think Jurgen Klopp will complain that, that people like Sadio Mane are, are pointing to the clock and saying, why well, are you bringing me off now? He, he wants to score more goals. I think that hunger is going to drive them to new heights. Uh, Diego Jota saying that he is supporting from the outside. It's not easy, even harder when you suffer as a fan and you can do literally nothing to help the team on the field. But I'm doing my best to be back as soon as possible. Things are going well, but knee injuries are always complicated, so we cannot rush things. It'll be interesting to see what happens with him. Okay, uh, let's get to Spurs and Arsenal, as North London's lot are trashed. One thing he's done is won the players over. I think that's the really important part that he's played. He hasn't even done a full first season and he's won the FA Cup. Now Bamiang inside the area, goes past Zuma, chips the goalkeeper, brilliant. it's in! Brilliant. It's a fantastic Arsenal goal! It's a brilliant FA Cup final goal from Pierre Emerick or Bamiang. 
Winning a trophy at the end of last season has kind of papered over the crack. He started ever so well. They've kind of stood still a little bit now. That's the problem. Ten-man Arsenal nil, Burnley won. £600,000 a week is going out on two players, one of whom can't contribute at all because he's not in the squad, and the other one who isn't contributing on the field right now. I think he has to come under criticism, ultimately because of where they are. He looked a broken man and he has lost that dressing room. Rubbish. Absolute rubbish. I know what I'm seeing in my eyes and he's got us going the right way. I'm still 100% behind Arteta. That last win they had was back against Manchester United on the 1st of November. Difficult times for Mikel Arteta. It's finished Tottenham 2, Arsenal 0. Their worst ever Premier League start to a season goes on. After this, their fourth successive home league defeat. The first time that's happened since 1959. I don't care how we play for these next three games. He's got to win two of them. Six to seven points, I think. No time to hide. It's time to put uh, your face and the body in the line. And at the moment, I'm sorry, but uh, we have to take the bullet. Everton 2, Arsenal 1. I was at this game for Talk Sport. Everton, the first team to do the London Grand Slam, beating Arsenal, Chelsea, Tottenham, Fulham, West Ham, and Crystal Palace already uh, this season. Um, Arsenal awful. Um, they've lost the eight games so far in the Premier League this season, Dean Ashton. What's your assessment of their problems? Um, I, I mean, I was quoted in midweek and um, of sort of sticking my neck out and saying I think they should stick with Arteta because I think he has tried to do the right things but he's clearly upset players in that squad you know you can always tell too many do you think probably by the by the by the looks of it by the way that the players react the body language that the players give the performances the players give I think you can always tell whether they're with the manager you can tell the young players who, because they're being given a chance they're showing good signs I think and certain players are but not enough and Generally, when things start to seep out of your club, you know, we always say, oh, you should never read them. But most of the time, a lot of it comes out for a reason. And I just think that at the moment, the players aren't there. The players aren't there with him. And that's the big issue. But I think he's, I think he is good enough. Uh, so Gunduzi, Socrates, Mustafi, Torreira, all those players discarded and moved on. Some of those popular figures within the dressing room. You've been warning against this for the last little while, Alex. He hasn't seemed to have repaired any of that damage. No Pierre-Emerick or Bamiang at the weekend because of a tight calf. Um, has that got anything to do with your uh, your little story that you couldn't quite stand up last week? Well, again, I, I couldn't say for definite, but uh, the fact that Aubameyang has missed a game is um, an incredible coincidence, um, shall we say, given some of the stories that I've heard uh, coming out of the training ground. I think there's two points to make here. Um, one is that my information is that the Arsenal board remain committed to Mikel Arteta. They're, they're um, quite they clear the, about that. They keep saying it, don't they? Yeah, they see him as the man for the long haul, that they have faith in his ability to turn around what is a pretty dismal situation, their worst run of form since 1974. But the second point is, is the one that you allude to there, that the fact that he's discarded so many senior players and so many popular players is causing a problem. Uh, Mesut Ozil is still training in and around the first team. He needs to leave in January. I think he probably will. I think he'll end up in the MLS and I think that will suit both parties because at the moment he's literally hanging around like a bad smell. But Mikel Arteta needs to find a way to heal some of the rifts that have been developing amongst the senior players. The word that has been banded around to me is toxic. And the, as long as it stays toxic at the training ground, 
that is only going to continue and, and, and spill over onto the pitch. So he's got some big decisions to make. He might need to eat a bit of humble pie mm. and restore some of those senior players, the likes of Socrates, Mustafi, who did so well for them at the end of the last season. I think there's a confusion amongst certain long-serving Arsenal players as to why their colleagues have been treated so badly. Interesting, isn't it? I mean, and also, one of the things that is pretty evident about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is, is he seems to have the ex-players very much on side. I think in the last week, we've had Sol Campbell, Kevin Campbell, Martin Keown, all on talk sport, but none of them really giving a ringing endorsement of what Mikel Arteta is doing. And even William Gallas saying over the weekend, I don't think he's got the experience to manage Arsenal, which is which is quite a damning indictment, really. Um, they have a big week, don't they, Dean? Because one win in 10 is not not good enough or dismal. It's actually abysmal, isn't it? One win in 10 in the Premier League. And they have Manchester City in the Carabao Cup quarterfinal on Tuesday night, followed by Chelsea on Boxing Day. Lose those two games, and it's very difficult to find a, a reason to stick with a project. Two very, very difficult games, though. Um, if you consider they've got Brighton, West Brom and Newcastle after that. Well, Burnley was a, a, a very difficult game for them. I mean, to be honest with you, every right, game's but, a very difficult look, game I for them at the moment. You know, the, the three games after that is more where I'd be looking at if they then don't have any uh, real sort of change in performance and results, then I think maybe, yeah, a club like Arsenal can't be in a relegation battle. It's, it's, as, simple as, it's as simple as that. And I don't think they will will let that happen. But I think the things that Alex has just said, it shows that management, you can have a great philosophy, you can have a great idea how you, you want your team to play. They can show signs of playing it. But man management is so important at the top level, which is why we always see managers' names come back time and time again because they're so good at man managing players. Uh, it's interesting to see the reaction of the general public to the way Arteta communicated after the game. I've been a big sort of advocate of the way he speaks. And I spoke to him on Saturday night and he basically said things that didn't really equate to how the game went. So he said, we dominated the match. Well, I must admit I was there. I didn't feel that that was the case at all. He said, we'd been unlucky. Again, I didn't feel that. They did hit the the, the bar, but you know, there was a deflection. That was one of two shots on target in the entire game. So, I, I I feel as if he sees the game through a different prism to most other people. And I think that happens when you're starting to lose your head a little bit. He's asking us to stop believing what we're seeing with our own eyes. And I think that's a dangerous road to go down because football fans are not stupid. They can see where the problems are with us. And I think he would be better off saying, as he has done previously, we're in a bad moment. There are going to be bumps in the road. We will keep trying to work things out. When, you, when you're asking people to believe that you dominated a game that you clearly didn't, that's when words like deluded start being chucked around. Okay, someone who certainly isn't deluded is Everton manager Carlo Ancelotti. His first year in charge has been an incredibly successful one. Uh, he ended it on Saturday night, second in the Premier League after the Sunday results. That wasn't the case, but they certainly are up there challenging for the European places. And they're doing it it, 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 you know, we, we talk a lot about how teams manage their injury crisis. Well, Everton have had an injury crisis. They suffered a blip. They changed the way they played. They're a little bit more mature and pragmatic now, Dean, but they're effective. They won three games against Arsenal, Leicester and Chelsea back-to-back. And that has to be lauded. In particular, Godfrey playing at left-back, who I thought was excellent. 
and the right back uh, Mason Holgate as well who's playing out of position yeah I think again it just shows Carlo Ancelotti's experience his his knowledge in terms of knowing how to tweak things to get results because you're right that the the three games you just talked about two of them with clean sheets with effectively four centre-backs and rotating your goalkeeper as well so clearly he's looked at what he's got where he can get the best out he knows that the likes of Richarlison Calvert-Lewin um, Sigurdsson they've got the quality to, to hurt the best teams in the league so um, I just think it's really really impressive the way he's used his, his squad Dino, I, I get a lot of stick for having a go at goalkeepers, even though I don't really have a go at goalkeepers. I just point out when they make mistakes. And I, I've got I've got a little bit of a worry about Jordan Pickford. I heard you mentioning the fact that he's a little bit too busy on Saturday's game day programme. And watching him on Saturday night, I was so perplexed as to why he was throwing himself around at, at balls he couldn't catch and trying to come out and get involved with things in an, in an uncertain way. There was one particular incident where the ball went into the box and he's under no pressure, really. He came out and flapped. And I can understand why Carlo Ancelotti is rotating his goalkeeper. I think he's trying to send him a warning. He's trying to say to him, look, calm yourself down or we will make a change. I don't think I'd be too surprised if, if in the January transfer window, he went out and got somebody else. That's just the, that is Jordan Pickford. That is, I think, his character. That's the way he plays. I think that's probably the, the way he feels like himself can be involved in the game as much as he is. I think he sees himself as one of those goalkeepers that has to be involved. You see some that don't like to necessarily come out and try and punch and, and get involved as much as Jordan Pickford does. But it's like, I don't know, it, people who've got two children, generally you've got one that just likes to sit on the couch and you've got one that just will not sit still. Yes, that is it. I have exactly that. You've basically see, described see, my dynamic. Tell me, tell me how you stop. You can't stop it. You kind of just coax them along. And I think Ancelotti's got that job of coaxing him along and trying to sort of get that experience into him, but not change him. Because I think that's what makes... The good side of Jordan Pickford is that busy side, but why do goalkeepers? Why can't they be rotated? I don't. I've never seen the point in goalkeepers having to stay in the team forever. Well, the conventional no. wisdom is is that you get used to playing in front of a uh, a goalkeeper if you're a back four. You, you play as a unit, and those combinations really help you. Um, and the security that a regular goalkeeper gives you fills you with the confidence to be able to go about your business. But if your goalkeeper is the one that's made 11 errors leading to goals since the start of last season, more than any other goalkeeper in the Premier League, that is a concern and that is an area you can fix, Alex. Yeah, I mean, you're preaching to the converted when it comes to Jordan Pickford. I remember having a conversation with you during the last World Cup when Pickford was one of the heroes for England. I think he's actually fundamentally too small to be a goalkeeper. Um, I think it's the same problem with Matty Ryan at Brighton. His days look numbered at the Amex. And yes, Sam, I know you've been banging that drum for a while. I don't trust Pickford and I don't think Carlo Ancelotti does either. And I think it's a problem. It's a problem for Gareth Southgate if his number one and he's hung his hat on Jordan Pickford loses his club place. He's going to have a big decision to make. Uh, let's talk about Tottenham Hotspur because on Sunday we saw them lose at home to Leicester City by two goals to nil. Um, Brendan Rodgers winning for the first time in a Premier League match against Jose Mourinho and he suffered at the hands of his former mentor on a couple of occasions but not this weekend Dean. I thought Leicester were absolutely superb and Tottenham 
off the pace. Yeah, and look, it, it does happen. It does happen where you have games where you're not quite at it. You know, Liverpool at Fulham were the same. They just didn't look right when they started the game. And, and I thought Tottenham were the same. They just didn't have that edge. They didn't have that sharpness to their when they did have a chance to counter-attack. Kane was really the only threat from a few set plays. Son wasn't involved. Gareth Bale, I mean, there's something seriously wrong there. And I know people will be getting on his back saying he's just not good enough and he just doesn't want it. I think he is frightened to death of getting injured. So he's playing at a 60-70% because he doesn't. he's just so scared of getting injured. Do you recognise that from your own experiences or is that something you've assessed from, from watching him over a period of time? No, see, I, no, I, I didn't really even get to that point where I could play 60-70% to try and protect myself as such. So, But I've seen it in other players. I saw you could see it in Michael Owen, and Michael Owen's talked about it before mm. since he's retired, about being so scared of being injured. And I just think Bale's at that situation. Well, he looks like to me anyway. I can't, for my, I can't ever believe that he doesn't want to be there and he doesn't want to play football. He just wants to play golf. I cannot believe that. Um, if, if you look at Leicester City, I mean, away from home, so impressive. Um, 18 points in their past seven games away from home. The most in their first seven away games of a season in their history. They are set up to counter-attack and it certainly works to their advantage. But they too have had to deal with quite a lot of injury issues over the course of the early part of the season. Brendan's saying afterwards he, he won't get carried away with their lofty status in the Premier League. They they are, I think, second at the moment. Are they second at the moment? They, 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 play, are, yeah. they play third place Manchester United live on TalkSport on, on Boxing Day. But they have to be appreciated for the way they've gone about their business, don't they? Yeah, they do. Uh, and obviously they've, they've sold big players as well in Harry Maguire um, last summer. And then um, obviously Chilwell this summer and they've recruited really well. I don't see them as title challengers. I think the top four may be stretching it because of the, of the home form. They need to work on that, but there's certainly a force we reckon with on the road. They're definitely a top six contender. You have to remember they've still got two of their first choice back four in Sionchu and Ricardo to come back into the team. Mm. And Didi makes a massive difference when he plays. And obviously Castagna is back fit now and, and he too... It improves them massively. So I think you have to give Brendan Rodgers a lot of credit because probably outside of Jurgen Klopp, they've been besieged by injuries more than any other team in the division. I really like Brendan Rodgers as well. I think he's developed as a coach over the course of the last few years, especially since he left Liverpool. I think he's become a slightly different character, especially when you speak to him post and pre-match. Um, Jose Mourinho, we, we know what he's like behind the closed doors because we've seen the, the documentary that's not probably a, really a, a true reflection of how he behaves away uh, from the cameras. I think he knows very much that they are there. However, he did say in one of the early episodes of that documentary, Serge Aurier, you worry me. You always have a bad penalty in you. Um, and that was... An incredibly bad penalty for him to give away, Dean. It was. It was, I think probably most of us had almost decided, or certainly I had, that Jose Mourinho was getting through to him to be a bit more pragmatic with his defending, to maybe be a bit more cautious, which is why I think he's brought him back into the side because he actually gives um, something different to Doherty. But again, it's just, I think certain players, I'm afraid... You can never shake that off them. 
I think just that... Four that, penalties that, since yeah. 2017 he's given away. The only person that's given away more is David Luiz. <laughs> exactly. And and it was. It was, a, it was a stupid one. He's clearly not... He's not in the moment. He's not thinking about where he is on the pitch. He's just thinking, make sure he doesn't get a clean touch. And... and but you he's know, going he's away from goal as well. <laughs> it's it's unnecessary. It's an unnecessary challenge to make because he's the guy's eighteen yards from goal. It's for Farner, isn't he? He's eighteen yards from goal. He's running away from any sort of danger. He's a central defender. I mean, all of the things that are telling you this is green. This is green. We don't need to engage. We don't need to engage. And he forearms him in the back. It's it's just a brainless thing to do. And it does beg the question, um, did Jose Mourinho dismiss Carl Walker-Peters too readily? Because he's had a fantastic season at Southampton. Is Serge Aurier a better defender than Carl Walker-Peters? I'm not convinced. I think he's brilliant going forward though, Serge Aurier, isn't he? I mean, he's created well, more... Walker-Peters is not bad in that respect either. He's created quite a lot of goals for Spurs already this season, Serge Aurier, which is why he's obviously brought him back into the team because he recognises those qualities. And he usually plays this sort of lopsided back three, any, uh, back four anyway, doesn't he? Where the uh, the centre-backs and the left-back tuck in to sort of cover the fact that Serge Aurier goes steaming down the right-hand side and, and, and isn't very... Uh, isn't very sturdy at the back anyway. Um, right, OK, uh, that's Spurs, Leicester, Everton and Arsenal. Shall we have a look at Monday night? Big London derby for Chelsea and West Ham United. Burnley against Wolves before that. Chelsea leggy in defeats to Everton and Wolves with the Blues visibly tiring towards the end of the game in midweek. An extra day's rest, well, it might not be enough to recharge for what is to come because West Ham absolutely love beating Chelsea. They hardly ever lose. Chelsea have won one Dean Ashton of the last six and West Ham did the double over them last season. What's in store? Well, I would fully expect it to be a tough night for Chelsea. You're right. They just seems to, they just seem to have the number of, of Chelsea and it's weird how you do have as a player, you have these clubs that you come up, up against as a side that just suit the way you play. And and it's it's hard to describe why, but I think you know I think Frank Lampard will be cautious. I think in, in maybe his team selection, I expect there to be two holding midfield players rather than the two attacking and one holding, which I'd like to see more um, because I think he'll recognise the threat that West Ham posed against Leeds on the counter attack. But I don't expect either team to really sit back. I expect it to be a a full-blooded affair. Uh, Harry Redknapp saying that Timo Werner and Kai Havertz haven't justified their price tags just yet. That was uh, a report in the paper over the weekend. Uh, how, how how do you change that if you're Frank Lampard, Alex? I think you have to be patient. Um, with any overseas signing, there's an adaptation period and the Premier League as a beast is much more competitive uh, and much more unforgiving than what they've been used to. Um, you, you mentioned tiring players. I think just the intensity of uh, English football maybe has taken its toll on those two players. Havertz obviously wasn't fully fit when he arrived. I think they will come good and that's why I would still back Chelsea to finish in the top four. Mm. Um, but Harry Redknapp's right at the moment when you look at the price tags alone, they, they haven't justified those price tags. And I, I remember Hatchard, TalkSport's European football expert, when uh, Timo Werner was first signed, saying he is a player 
a striker who misses chances. And I think um, he's been proved right already. Especially if they're from about a yard. Uh, he's missed a couple of those already. But listen, he's still done very well for Chelsea as well. And Havertz, uh, we had him on this podcast, Kai Havertz, earlier in in the summer. And we spoke to him and he said the intensity of this league is something else. You know, going to Brighton, for example, in any other league, that's an easy game. You'll stroll, th- stroll through it, move on. Where's the next one? But in this league... <laughs> Nothing like it. Absolutely knackering. Uh, Ziyech heading back after injury. Antonio, unsure uh, whether or not he's going to make the starting lineup or even be on the bench. He's missed the last three matches. It seems churlish to suggest this, Dean. But even after the acrobatics and winning four of the last six with Haller up front, he's not the answer, is he? Oh, I mean, I'm so torn because he can produce things like that overhead kick. He's got this unique ability to score great goals already in his West Ham career. And I still think, I genuinely think there's a good, a really, really good player there that could do really well at West Ham. But you have to play to his strengths and his strengths is having a partner and getting crossed yes. into the box and they don't do that. Yes, exactly. Exactly what I was thinking as well. To have someone up there, maybe a Jared Bowen, maybe an Antonio when he's fit. Is that something that David Moyes can look at? I'm not sure he will. But I think you're right. I think he does need somebody up there to feed off. And he, I think confidence-wise, I think you need someone up there to to help him as well. But you can't. There's no doubt in some of his abilities. But, uh, you know, whenever I watch West Ham games, I'm looking on social media and a lot of West Ham fans, they're just not, they're not having him. And because Antonio sets such an example when he leads the line, which is why, you know, he signed a new deal till 2023, because they know how valuable he is to them. Let's just talk about West Ham because they can go above Chelsea with a victory here, can't they? If they beat Chelsea going into Christmas, they'll be above their West London rivals who have spent all this money. And, you know, even two weeks ago, we were talking about them as possible, or some people were talking about them as possible title contenders. Um, We love a little pendulum switch of pressure from one manager to another. How much pressure will Frank Lampard be under if they drop down the table going into the Christmas period, do you think, Dean? Of course, he'll be under pressure. You know, he's at one of the biggest clubs in the country with massive expectations and a an owner that isn't shy to uh, to move around management when he feels the need. And and I think Frank Frank Lampard's certainly shown enough in the way that his team has has played. But yeah, they'll they'll certainly be pressure, especially if West Ham beat them and go ahead of them. That won't go unnoticed. Um, and you know, West Ham. I think I said it last week on on the podcast that. You know, they tend to have a knack just to let's not get ahead of ourselves because they they manage a way of always messing it up. But, you know, they just look so solid. And they love a big game, don't they? They love a big game. They love a big game, especially if it's against Chelsea. Uh, Burnley against Wolverhampton Wanderers. Uh, Burnley have taken four points from the last two games. They've climbed out of the bottom three. They still have a game in hand over most of their rivals at the bottom there. Uh, Wolves excellent in the second half against Chelsea. I think the prediction for this game would be not many goals. Top scorer for Burnley is Chris Wood. He's got two. Uh, Neto is the top scorer for Wolves and he's got four. So I can imagine quite a quite a dour encounter here, Crook. Uh, draw half-time, Wolves full-time would be my prediction because as we know, they're it's very much... a betting a, show, sir. <laughs> they're very much a second-half team, Wolves, aren't they? And that's a testament to, to how fit they are considering that he hasn't used too many players over the past uh, two or three seasons, that's even more testament to the work they do on the training ground. I know you mocked Neto there for his lack of goals, but actually I think he he showed in the absence of Jimenez against Chelsea that he can step up to the plate. Uh, obviously it was a horrendous dive and then went on to, to score the winning goal, which didn't sit 
particularly well. But I, I like him and Daniel Pedence. I think the, ju- the jury is still out on um, Fabio Silva. He's, he's a young kid. It's, he's asking an awful lot. But I think in those two players, they have players who can genuinely hurt this Burnley team. Yeah, Pedence is a great little player, isn't he? I mean, he probably deserves a little bit more reward for some of his uh, his product that he produces on the pitch. Right, it's Christmas time. So let's look at some of the Reds, Red and Wines. West Bromwich Albion beaten at home by three goals to nil by Aston Villa. Uh, the key decision here is the dismissal of Livermore. Obviously, they're 1-0 down West Bromwich Albion at this stage. I saw quite a lot of people suggesting this wasn't a red card. There is absolutely no doubt that under the current laws of the game, this is a red card all day long, Dean Ashton. Absolutely, yeah. I think irrespective of the law of the games, that for me, it was a red card it was a clear red card anyway. It's it's one of those challenges where, you know, I think you can tell not only is he, he'll say, oh, I'm trying to win the ball, but he's going into sort of ball, man, everything, just totally clean out. On the halfway exactly. line. Exactly. I just, unnecessarily. Yeah, I didn't like the at all. The only thing I would say is, and, and I know that uh, West Brom fans weren't very happy, is when you see the slow-mo of the Courtney Hawes challenge on Dean Garner, you sort of go, well, hang on a minute. How's that not a red card from what we've seen? I, I agree that it raised suspicion, but I do think the explanation for that makes a little bit of sense in that whereas Jake Livermore lunges into the challenge and leaves the ground with both feet, so he's deemed out of control. As soon as you leave the, the floor with both of your feet and dive into a challenge, if you make contact, you're off. There's no doubt about it because you are out of control and therefore the potential to endanger the safety of an opponent. Whereas Courtney Hawes goes to play the ball and he oversteps, doesn't he? He's, his back foot is planted and he goes, he just sort of almost just steps on the opposition player accidentally. But it is very high. And to be honest with you, I don't think that one would have been overturned by the VAR either way. So if Martin Atkinson sees that as a red card, the referee's not changing his mind. But similarly, because he gave a yellow card, the VAR is not going to say that's a clear and obvious error. That must be a red card. And I think that's the difference. The difference is, is the VAR isn't there to patrol the consistency. He's there to decide whether the referee has made a clear and obvious error. He did it with the first one. He didn't with the second one. Yep, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. It's one of those, the second one, that nobody would have complained had it been a red card. Mm. Um, but the first one's brainless for me from a senior player. As you've mentioned, the area of the pitch where he is, he doesn't need to do it. He's He's had a poor first touch. It's very similar to John Lundstrom, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. He's miscontrolled it. He's trying to make amends for that, but he should know better. He's one of the senior statesmen in that West Brom team. He's let his team down. He's let his new manager down. But if big Sam Allardyce was in any doubt about the enormity of the task, I think there's 90 minutes will ram it home. And as I said, when he was appointed, he's not a miracle worker. He doesn't keep this West Brom team in the Premier League without significant investment in January. And I'm not convinced the West Brom board are going to give him it. Well, Luke Dowling, who's the sporting director, has said that they are going to uh, invest as much as they can. But the key problem is, is that the owners of the club, Dean Ashton, want to sell it anyway. So they're not going to to fleece themselves in order to satisfy Sam Allardyce. I mean, I don't know what they've said to him, but I, I do think that on this occasion, there's been a little bit of Sam Allardyce having been out of the game for two and a half years, thinking, I need to get back in here. Well, that, well, only time will tell, won't it? I just think he's he seems like the kind of character that would calculate and, and judge situations knowing how it would look in his reputation when he finishes or for his next job. And, and 
Also, I think the one thing that's probably easy to overlook about Sam Allardyce is he will look at that squad pretty quickly and go, do you know what? I can sell you, you and you that everyone else thinks is a starter in this team. I'm going to sell you to get money in to bring in the players I need. You know, Kevin Nolan will be back in before you know it and everything will be fine. <laughs> uh, you said we'd talk about Lundstrom. Sheffield United drawing away at Brighton. A late goal from Danny Welbeck. Uh, it was a well-taken goal from Danny Welbeck. Really well-taken. And Brighton will be pleased that they managed to get on the score sheet. But Sheffield United despite the fact they were down to 10 men from the 38th minute, got themselves in front and then conceded that goal at the end. I mean, I don't think you can complain about the, the red card. You've already mentioned it. He he was late. He was over the top of the ball. He's, you know, ball and man, fair enough, whatever, but it was high. And, and, and you are going to get sent off for that challenge. So I don't think Chris Wilder hit the right note when he said, I'm a product of 20, 25 years ago. And for me, a tackle is a tackle and, and football is a contact sport. I, I'm just I'm just not sure that that was the right thing to say. No. Um, misplaced comments, really. Um, I think anybody who knows anything about football knew that it was a red card. I called it straight away in, in commentary. Whether John Lundstrom is in the right frame of mind at the moment to be playing games for Sheffield United, bearing in mind his contract situation, possibly is open to debate. But what isn't uh, questionable is, is the honesty and, and endeavour of Chris Wilder's team. It was a wholehearted performance and it was hard not to feel sorry for them, for them at the end when, when Danny Welbeck came up with that late equaliser. <laughs> They're not good enough to stay in the Premier League two points at this stage of the season. They need a miracle now. I, I hate this. I hate this. I hate this so much. He was so right, Dean. He said this at the end of last season. They're going to go down. And do you know what? I've been trying my damnedest to find a way for Sheffield United to stay up, but I know it's not going to happen now. And the thing that pains me more than the fact that a good bloke like Chris Wilder isn't going to keep his team up is the fact that Alex Crook was right all along. <laughs> yeah, that'll be tough to swallow, won't it? Really it really mean, I think, I think, again, the team have shown that they're not willing to work for this manager, that they've just given up and, and that the manager's lost the players. That just isn't the case. The players just simply aren't good enough and I think have reached the end of of um, of their bounds, I think. Yeah. So the, the one thing I would say is that that's more of a worrying result and performance from Brighton than it Bridge. is for Sheffield United. That was yeah. really worrying, the fact that they couldn't break them down, they couldn't take their chances, they still look very vulnerable at the back despite at times playing some great stuff. That's a big worry, Brighton. Yeah, they're in trouble, Brighton. And again, um, I'm a little bit surprised about the fact that um, they have returned fewer points than at any other stage since being promoted to the Premier League. Yep. And it'll be interesting to see what happens in January if things do not improve. I actually think they only need a couple of big results and things will turn for them because ultimately the teams below them and even some teams above them are a lot worse than they are. But... You've got to win matches. You've got to put points on the board. Sheffield United aren't doing it, and certainly neither are Brighton. Newcastle, Fulham finish 1-1. Anderson sent off in this game as well, which can only be described as the most ludicrous decision of the entire weekend. The way you have to analyse it is, is, is just basically a catalogue of failures by too many people involved. One, Anderson shouldn't tug him back, yes, but it's not that much of a foul. Certainly isn't a penalty. Two, Wilson dived that... I'm afraid, is 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 unforgivable. The referee's made a mistake in the first place for giving the penalty. 
he's then made an even bigger mistake in not understanding the law that if you give a penalty in that circumstance, you've got to send someone off. So the VAR then says to him, hold on a second, the laws are that if you deny a goal-scoring opportunity, you have to send someone off if they don't make a genuine attempt to play the ball. He then goes over to look at the monitor to make sure that's the correct decision because they're only looking at the red card and not at the fact that the penalty is legitimate or illegitimate. They don't show him the replay where Wilson clearly doesn't have any contact perpetrated against him. Therefore, the referee can't change his decision on the penalty because he has no evidence to back that decision up. So it's a catalogue of errors all round and ultimately it ends with them going down to to 10 men Fulham and also Newcastle getting a penalty and scoring and equalising the game, which they didn't really deserve, Alex. No, and Scott Parker must be a contender for the unluckiest manager in the Premier League so far this season when you look at some of the calls. And, and Mikel Arteta, I think. And Mikel Arteta has <laughs> put his hand up for that one. No, I have too. sympathy with Scott Parker. I don't have a lot with Mikel Arteta. Um, but, you know, you look at the decisions that have gone against them, the missed penalties that could yet prove costly. I think he's doing a good job at Fulham um, because, again, I don't think it's a fantastic squad, but I think he is, he is getting a tune out of those players and they have a fighting spirit and actually if you're talking about Mikel Arteta Fulham and arguably Sheffield United actually have a spirit that Arsenal don't and that might just set Fulham in good stead for the rest of the season well Fulham have got a couple of fixtures over the next uh, couple of weeks or so they might jump above uh, Arteta's Arsenal you never know uh, let's talk about Manchester City's win over Southampton Dean and it was a game of high intensity and good quality between two teams that are incredibly fit and they, they know what they want to achieve in the game. And one of the things that Pep Guardiola wants to achieve now more than ever, seemingly, is clean sheets. Yeah, I think maybe that's certainly been overlooked, hasn't it? He, he came out and uh, praised John Stones, and rightly so, for, for his mentality and coming back and putting the performances in that he has. I think Ruben Diaz has gone way under the radar in terms of stepping into the Premier League, settling in. Been, uh, been pretty much an ever-present at the back for, for Manchester City, which has been important because of the injuries they've had over the last couple of seasons. Um, and again, I thought it showed the qualities that Southampton and Hassan Luton has, has got within his side to be able to go almost toe-to-toe with, with Manchester City um, and, and give them a real sort of real good game without really getting the result. Yeah, and there was a moment right at the end of the game that, that perfectly highlighted their problems and the difference between Manchester City this season and in previous campaigns. Basically, Kevin De Bruyne has the chance to get a shot away from the edge of the penalty area. Doesn't. Rolls it to his left-hand side. Raheem Sterling can take a shot on goal. Doesn't. Plays in Bernardo Silva, who can tap in from the edge of the six-yard box. Doesn't. Pulls it back for Riyad Mahrez. That was the worst. it over the bar. That was the worst one. Uh, Bernardo Silva six yards from goal and instead of shooting at, 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 at you know the, the net is there begging to be hit he goes no, no, no I'm just going to be a little bit more clever and I'm going to put it over there it didn't I, I don't know you can't teach a goal scoring instinct but sometimes you have to think to yourself fella come on it's about but- scoring goals this game they're trying to score the perfect goal, uh, reminiscent of actually of Arsenal at times under Arsene Wenger. And and maybe that's because they're not playing with an out-and-out striker. Um, Torres started in the false number nine. So maybe they've lost that ruthlessness. But defensively, one goal conceded in eight games. Yeah. Um, obviously, we've been critical of Pep Guardiola for the amount of money that he's lavished on defenders without improving them in that area. 
but maybe they've they've tightened up at one end and that's been to their detriment at the other. But listen, they are still carving teams open. Eventually, someone is going to get battered. And also, I think it's worth pointing out as well that if they win their game in hand, which they have over Liverpool and Leicester and Everton, they'll have 26 points, which is the same as Manchester United and Everton, and they'll be within five points of, of, of Liverpool. So... They're not too far behind Manchester City, that is for sure. Right, um, have a have a great rest of the uh, the week. Uh, Dean, Christmas time for you. I know it's different for everybody this year and it's not as big as we uh, hoped and planned. I've started to work my way through all the festive food that I ordered for the entire family. I started last night. I think I'll uh, turn my attention to... I had mini burgers this evening. Uh, I'll turn my attention to mini Kievs tomorrow lunchtime, I think. Um, and we're back on Christmas Eve, Crook, for a uh, a big festive preview to all the Boxing Day action. So if you're at home and you're on your own on Christmas Day, that means that by four o'clock on Christmas Eve, you'll have a podcast to listen to. Save it for Christmas Day and maybe put it on while you're having your lunch. I'm sure it'll be the perfect accompaniment. Uh, Dean, thank you very much. Pleasure. Cheers, mate. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply.